Taylor Washington scores! The USL original! Goal number one for number 23. Two wins in three matches. Still zero goals allowed for the boys in gold, who currently sit second in the Eastern Conference table for what it's worth this early on. The goal call by Will Bowling of 104.5. Taylor Washington's first MLS tally. And we're going to bring you analysis of that wonder strike from the USL lifer, as well as much more today. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of clubcountryusa.com. Welcome in after a 2-0 Nashville win over Montreal sent them to seven points. The rain cascaded, the quality of play eroded a little bit, but Nashville didn't let its chance at three points slip away. Tim, a second straight match that I think we could call ugly. Uh, This one probably rain-induced as well as uh, Montreal defense-induced. The boys in gold continue to double down on what they do best. They're trapping, they're countering, they're denying shots on target. And this year, so far... Tim, they're doing what they didn't do best last year, which is they're holding serve at home. Yeah, and that's, uh, if people recall in preseason, that was one of the things that we said, okay, if they can just be basically the same team as they were last year, but actually get the job done when they're at home, then this team has a chance to put together a really special season. And uh, through two opportunities to play at home, they're making us look smart so far. So uh, I hope they keep it up if for no other reason than a false sense of intellectual superiority for your boy. And the show, of course, is built on a false sense of intellectual <laughs> superiority. If you're keeping count, though, uh, by the way, historically now, uh, speaking of superiority, that's six meetings between Nashville and Montreal, four Nashville wins, two draws, a 9-5 scoreline. And Tim, NSC leads that XG count 9.6 to 3.8. They have victimized nobody in MLS quite like they have the artists formerly known as the Impact. Yeah, and that uh, the Mason Toy goal from the 2021 season uh, really, really added to the Montreal side of the actual scoreline, not so much to the XG <laughs> scoreline. And that's that that helps you explain some of these numbers, I think. That was like a 0.02 XG, I would okay, say. Okay, now you're going to make me look it up. No, Turn and fire. Oh, you're going to actually look up that exact play, aren't you? Oh, man. Uh, again, this is the show for the sickos, but we promise to have enough for the uh, the newbies, too, because we know there are a lot of you out there <laughs> and I'm stalling as Tim looks this up. We'll go ahead and, and oh, tell you please what's go ahead. Up. It's going to take me a second. We're going to tell you what's coming up in the show. And then Tim will just randomly blurt out a very low decimal yes. point at some point along the course. Of what? The never. I would never. Was. Uh, you would never, ever do that. In the early shout today, it is, of course, a career highlight for Taylor Washington. And we're going to chat about his impact in this match. But of course, more importantly, on and off the pitch. For Nashville SC, we'll also hear from the um, potential solution at striker, uh, Taylor Washington, uh, <laughs> the karate kick goal. Uh, plus, we'll hear uh, hear from him, but also going to talk about New England a little bit and why this weekend's match could threaten Nashville's early unbeaten run. A New England team reeling after a 4-0 defeat against LAFC, but a good-looking team, I think, especially compared to what this group was uh, last year in a disappointing year. Find that number yet, Tim? No, no, no. I'm, I'm still a ways away. The the uh, the internet. I blame the internet only. Tim's going to be not distracted. My fault. It's, it's not, not your not fault at all. Fault. You'd have this at, the, at your fingertips, I'm sure. Uh, in the mailbag today, we're going to get into the Nick DePew saga to the extent that that mm-hmm. we have knowledge about that. What in the world happened? Was Nashville sold a, a bill of goods there with regard to a player who was maybe you know his injury status would have would have restricted Nashville making that move had they known more about it. What's going to happen at the striker spot? More conversation about that as Teal Bunbury continues to perform well away from goal and give this team a lot of what CJ Sapong gave it last year in that respect. Plus, is this team showing early signs of being a contender? Uh, The St. Louis story, Arch, continues to grow. Hey, look at you. (laughs) Not Arch. Arch, you got it. Thanks, Gateway of the West. Uh, And uh, who do we expect to regress and progress to the mean this year. What do the numbers tell us? What do our eyes tell us? Uh, I think St. Louis, probably one of those that will definitely regress. <laughs> Not going to uh, get 34 games times three of points. That is 102 this season. Uh, who else will drop off? Who else will rise up? But first, Tim, ML Rose, let me tell you something. ML Rose was packed. And I, I made a mistake in, in going a little later than I should have. And it was crowded on 8th Avenue before that that Montreal match and that is a great problem to have clearly purely a function of our promotion of of their restaurant. 
Yeah, uh, you had much less than uh, 0.0412 expected uh, meetings with people there, but you managed to meet many people. There you go. Uh, yes, it was it was like a four four uh, hundredths of a percent um, shot there. Actually better than I thought, but yeah, no. Um, ML Rose is a place that obviously we are so happy supports us, and we are so happy especially to see, um, as, as you have a couple times already this year, Wes, that people are supporting them um and hope like you said hopefully a big part of that is because they hear about us uh hear about them excuse me through us and that's something that we know that there are a few um fans out there who who are always telling us k baker is always saying hey i'm going to ml rose because of you guys but um hopefully it's it's a groundswell that that maybe started with us but uh you know just continues being a place that nashville sc fans want to go hang out yeah last year it's fair to say that it was a place that nashville sc fans went before and after matches and even a popular place my experience this past weekend and, and three weeks ago now would tell me it has become the place to go mm-hmm. before matches. And even folks, I, I walk, we went over to the to the tailgate from there, and even folks at the tailgate came up to me and they said, "Ah, you know, ML Rose is great today. We they they go there for for a drink or a bite, then they go to the tailgate. Plenty of time, of course, to do both. Walk straight down Craighead, and you're set." And uh, it was it was really amazing to see that atmosphere, a packed, packed pub like you would expect to see somewhere in Europe before a game. The local pubs absolutely crawling with people. And, and of course, quantity of people, but also quality of food and of service, even when they get so crowded. I've never felt forgotten there before a match. And I think that is maybe even better testament to the quality of the place, which means it's going to keep on filling up. ML Rose, when you think club and country, when you think Nashville SC, think ML Rose on 8th Avenue. Nice one-touch passing here for Montreal. Top of the box, Davis intercepts. Four to Mukhtar, and now a three-on-one developing for Nashville. The MVP, Mukhtar. Left side of Schaffelberg. Into the box, Schaffelberg shoots, and he scores! We've seen that before. A moment made by the MVP. Shaffle Shuffle Part 2, courtesy of 104.5, Will Bowling, and Jaleel Anibaba. Uh, Tim Jacob Schaffelberg on his way to win the Golden Boot. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Done. Uh, I will <laughs> note the, the tweet I sent out after that goal, which is he may not win the golden boot, but he's what being golden is all a boot. <laughs> See, as a Canadian pun, that's, that's there's levels to that because there's golden. There's um, look Thanks at you for explaining the joke. You're really we punching it up. That. You really, really melted really the iceberg like that, that was that joke because it approached the Nova Scotia <laughs> uh, But just, I appreciate just tearing it. into the skid there. <laughs> <laughs> you are indeed on some good winter tires, might I add. Uh, Schaffelberg and Fafa Pico. Maybe neither one of them is going to, you know, come home with with MLS honors. Maybe so. Who knows? But Tim, they're given exact uh, Nashville exactly what it wanted when it pursued them to add that speed to the wing, aren't they? I mean, even if their performance might reduce Heine's ultimate numbers, at least goal numbers. He's got mm-hmm. someone to assist now that's not a striker. And boy, that has made such an impact about you know on what this team does, especially on the counter. This is like the fourth time in this show that you said impact without talking about Montreal, which is very funny to me as well. Um, but but yeah, I mean, we talked about this before the season. It's would Nashville like to have a DP striker? Sure. But is it required when you have the type of speed that Schaffelberg provides, when you have the type of speed that Fafa Picot provides? Obviously, Picot has not been as productive in terms of of counting stats just yet, but both of them look so dangerous. They're adding a danger, even when Hani Mukhtar isn't on the pitch, because he has not been a 90-minute player um, so far through three games this season. It's, it's, It's been a bit more limited of a role, obviously his biggest role yet on this past weekend. But Schaffelberg and Picot can handle some of the creation duty through pure speed they can handle some of the the kind of sidekick duty as we saw Schaffelberg do basically a, a carbon copy of his his goal against NYCFC as well same thing Hani drives at the back line Schaffelberg says hey guess what I'm the fastest man on the eastern uh, seaboard of Canada look at me go and he gets there and and Hani has somebody to lay it off to and, and Schaffelberg does not make a mistake finishing and these are two guys that we have said are going to be important and and so far um, they both make us look smart again this is a show where people just really want to make us look smart which i, I really appreciate out of both of them it's great and we hadn't even brought up yet that we called for the sean davis signing have we ever mentioned that on the show by the way <laughs> uh, if you're honey mukhtar though this has to change your mindset a bit from last year right last year it was you know find a striker maybe even playing back in midfield then take off toward goal hope they find you and then look to goal now when he drives down the pitch two times now for goals he's dished it off to schaffelberg He's looking outside, isn't he, instead of inside? And, and that has to take some pressure off of him, right, tactically, but also maybe put some pressure on him that, 
he's got some competition for scoring goals this year. <laughs> yeah, I think Hani would tell you um, he got every little bit of of uh, individual accolade that he needed last year. This season is much more about what the team can do as a unit, what he can do for the team. And of course, his individual accolade last year was not uh, something that something that was completely outside of team success as well. He, everything that this team was able to do was something that he basically provided to it. So mm-hmm. that is that is an important thing to keep in mind is a, a goal counts as a goal, no matter which player boots it into the back of the net. And Hani Mukhtar wants to make sure his team is scoring goals. I don't think he's going to be too selfish about, um, you know, particularly given that he's assisted on two of them. He's going to be all that selfish about it uh, if he's not the one putting the ball in the back of the net this year. And if you are looking for the embodiment of a player doing what he needs to do for the team, look no further than, of course, the second goal scorer, Taylor Washington. And Tim, uh, you caught up with him post game. Here's what Taylor had to say about being the guy who's still around from the start of USL and what moments like Saturday night mean to him. Being the, the last uh, USL era guy who's who's still around, what does it what does it mean to you to you know to not just still be kicking it, but still be a, a crucial part of this team and, and you know score the, the insurance goal? Oh, I'm super grateful. You know, super humbled as well. Uh, you know, to continue to be a part of Nashville SC is one of the biggest dreams of my life. Um, and, you know, to be with guys from that first year in 2020, um, you know, I, I honestly have to give a lot of shout out to Dan, Dan Lovitz, because he's always telling me to get higher up the field. He's like, Taylor, go score. And um, on this play, thanks be to God, we did. So it's uh, it's always an honor to be, be stepping onto the field. And, um, you know, I never take it for granted. I mean, it's such good stuff, Tim, there. And, and I know you've had a, a great conversation with him, not only then, but you've had so many over the years. Before we get to the Gold Nuggets and dive into his career, per a nice question from Finn Breland, what do you think? When, when you saw him score that goal, what, what went through your mind? Uh, I was super excited for him. I'm super excited for for his parents, including his dad, Mark, who who used to comment on, on clubcountryusa.com all the time. But um, th- this, uh, you, when people say that somebody is nice, it's often because they can't think of a, a better compliment to give somebody. But I kid you not, Taylor Washington is one of the nicest people that has ever walked the face of this planet, one of the most gracious, kindest people that has ever walked the face of this planet. And to see him have success on the field is something that people who have who have been around, you know, since 2018, when I was the only person in, in post-game press conferences, I was the only person in midweek press conferences, talked to Taylor one-on-one a lot of times. And, you know, after, you know, dozens of, of meetings, um, you know, every once in a while, I was like, hey, how's your how's your little daughter? And, uh, I Fortunately, he did not ask this weekend. It would, I would have been like, bro, she's five now. <laughs> but it's... Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he's he's the, one of the most thoughtful, kindest people. And to see him not only have the success he's had on the soccer field, but turning what, to be quite honest, in the at the USL level was kind of one trick, which was being extraordinarily fast into the well-rounded player that he is nowadays through, through simple hard work and all those sorts of things. It couldn't have happened to a better dude. And I'm... I'm you know, always excited to see his success. Of course, um, you know, all, all of the guys that were around in the original days um, were, were generally pretty good guys. And the guys that are around nowadays are generally pretty good guys. But Taylor's the one guy who bridges it from 2018 to today. And it's it's all the better to see him have the success that um, he will hopefully continue to have over the course of the season. Cannot argue with any of that, especially the quality of the human. But I want to double down on what you said about becoming a more well-rounded player too. his skill on the ball, his movement. I mean, you saw both of those right on that goal, right? He, he reads the play very well. Mm-hmm. He comes in off that left flank. Shaq delivers a great ball. Of course, the first thing Taylor does in the presser is credit Shaq for the ball he delivers because, of course, he does. But that's a darn good finish, too. And, and that kind of skill, that kind of, I mean precision is something we didn't always see early in those USL days where, you know, he had a hundred plus crosses before he tallied his first assist in USL, if I recall correctly. And it was, it was a credit as much as anything, the frequency, the crosses was toward his speed and his skill on the flanks, but, but he became more precise, worked so closely with Steve Guppy. And um, he is not a legacy just because it's nice to have a USL guy around. If anything, you've seen this club at times steer away from that USL mm-hmm. legacy, at least off the pitch. And uh, and on it, I mean, he had to earn a spot. And I think he certainly has. Um, Finn Breland, can you all talk a bit about his contributions to the pre-MLS days and how much he means to this club? Also, where does that goal rank for you in quality, not in game impact? I mean, it's the best goal of the season so far, right? In terms of just 
individual. Yeah, I mean, it's not quality. for there, there are only there are only four total know, small competitors size. to date, <laughs> but yeah, easily, it's easily the best so far. And I um, mean, you know, it, by the end of the year, it probably will not be. But um, it, it is it is like we just said in terms of how well uh, Taylor has has performed in comparison to how he started as a Nashville SC player. It's it's something that wasn't in his bag before from the movement to, to kind of sneak around the center back to, to the simple finish, just getting a foot on it and, and swinging through. Uh, it's it's a beautiful goal and it's something that, again, his growth will hopefully continue to show up on the field because if it does, that's that's good for Nashville C. It means they're, they're scoring some pretty impressive goals. Yeah, the relentless work ethic show, tells me that I, that growth will continue. A um, couple gold nuggets about Taylor. Uh, one of them is a stat. It's his first MLS goal in 47 league appearances for NSC, but it was not his first time finding the net while wearing a gold kit. He scored twice in USL play. Uh, he took the field for Nashville 59 times in USL. So, Finn, to answer your question about those contributions of pre-MLS days, prolific crosser, regular starter on the flanks, usually on the left side, occasionally on the right. Uh, and, Tim, do you remember that first game in which he scored for NSC? I remember it very well. I used to, fans, a long-time fans may remember this, I used to cut up GIFs after every game. And the celebration was iconic as he scored the <laughs> game. I believe it was ultimately the game winner against game winner. United too. Yep. Uh, yeah. The, I, I got to go back and find that. I think uh, I'm running out of space on the website, but <laughs> we'll have to uh, go back and, and post that one up. I was devastated that I was not on the call for that game. I was in Quebec City that weekend uh, when Nashville won that 1-0 game over uh, Atlanta United too. And I, I typed this in the rundown, and then I listened to your question of him, where you're clearly not only – knowing what game it was most likely, but referencing again, the fervor of the celebration, because that is the kind of stuff you're only going to get right here on, uh, on club and country. Uh, we usually stick to numbers and facts in the gold nuggets section. We've given you a couple of those here, but so much of what Taylor does for this team is intangible as well. Uh, his impact on the community where he's been man of the year for NSC, multiple years, relationships with supporters. So many of them. Uh, I think he's maybe the one player first and foremost that supporters would say, they have genuine friendship with and not just respect for and admiration for. And uh, there are others on that list, but Taylor has probably going to top more than, than most. What's your favorite Taylor Washington story? Other than you mentioned him asking about producer Lily, which is awesome. Any other good stories you want to tell? Uh, I got two. First of all, I think uh, way back to the first season of Nashville, see they had a trivia night uh, at a, at a place in uh uh opry mills area opry mills yes that's yep. what it's called i was there um and uh each team had like four or five people on it and was a, essentially assigned a player and taylor was on when it was on our team <laughs> so uh i got to know him and he's like hey you're the you're the guy from the press conferences right <laughs> which was very funny um and then uh another one speaking of gifs which yes does have a soft g ladies and gentlemen i'm willing to draw that line in the sand um <laughs> i'll embrace debate there but when, when i was seeing the subscription numbers go down mentally just as mm. i say that mm. um one, one time i don't remember why but the, the club was training at at vanderbilt rather than at their typical training facility and i uh, you know i was through, through the first two years i was the only person who ever showed up to a press conference um not on game day. And often I was the only one on game day too. And um, I'm sitting there talking to, I believe it was Gary Smith, but it might've been a player afterwards, just me and him. Um, I'm holding my, my cell phone out in front, taking video. And all of a sudden Kosuke Kimura comes by with a dude on his shoulders. And they're like doing weird, weird motions to try and like ruin the video. Basically they're trying to video bomb the, the interview. And it was very funny. It's a very uh, lighthearted and uh, fun moment as well. <laughs> I enjoyed those. Early days, we were going to, to training before that first USL season, and Kosuke was working with Taylor and basically teaching him everything he knew uh, about how to play on the flank. And it was, I mean, Taylor was so receptive to that and could never have imagined that that anybody, you know, that either one of those guys would still be around. Kosuke is an assistant, of course, now, and um, and Taylor is still playing. Uh, my favorite Taylor story, again, off the pitch, I called a couple of Lipscomb soccer matches with him. Uh, a few years ago, it was actually, you know, the, the spring season for soccer when COVID pushed everything back. And uh, so they kind of were scrambling for people, which is why they chose me, I think. And and Taylor mm -hmm. was a, was obviously great at the gig. Right. But the first game, I, I have like three missed calls from Taylor uh, before the game. I think I may have shared the story before and I'm freaking out I'm like, oh, man, my color analyst is bailing on me. Like, <laughs> I understand he's like a big shot in MLS now, but. Man, it's a bummer that he's not going to be. I'm assuming, right, that the missed calls are that he's bailing. And I finally get him back on the line. He says, hey, man, 
uh i'm heading to the to the game um i'm dropping by a grocery store beforehand you want any gatorade like (laughs) that kind of like like overly like he didn't just call once and be like all right you know what i'm giving up that's fine i'll just get my stuff no he calls three times to try to get me to make sure i'm taken care of usually the play-by-play guy leads those types of discussions and arrangements right and it's taylor desperate to get me on the line to see if he can bring me anything for the game speaks to to who he is um and by the way, another guy he referenced in the conversation with him that day, he had great, great things to say about his buddy, John Gallagher, um, who mm-hmm. also scoring goals for Austin right now. Neat to see those guys developing and uh, and thriving. Other notes from the win. Hani started for the first time this season. He went 91 minutes. He was replaced very late by Ethan Zubak. Uh, just a couple of stats there. Created four chances, of course, including the assist. Nobody else in the game for either team created more than one. Only Taylor took more shots than Hani in the game. Are we starting to see the Hani that we know? Um, obviously, he's not scoring a bunch of goals, but Tim, he didn't score until match seven last year either. And it seems to me he's starting to find the the rhythm, the form that he that he showed at least you know in the middle part of last year before he completely caught fire. Yeah, I think last year it was a little bit different because there was kind of uh, an element of bad luck or being snake bitten earlier in the year than there was, um, you know, Hani coming off of an injury and only playing, you know, 25 minutes and then 45 minutes and then 91 minutes um, in the first three matches. But at the same time, I think it goes back to what we said earlier, where he doesn't feel the pressure to be the guy who scores quite as much as he did previously. And I think that plays a big role in that. And he's only taking taken three shots so far, but, um, you know, recorded to assist, like we've uh, obviously mentioned a number of times, both of them to Jacob Schaffelberg. It's a guy who knows that he can trust his teammates a little bit more. Um, last year, it was it was a little bit of, of change with Teal Bunbury coming in. There was more new personnel. He knows Jacob Schaffelberg. He knows Bunbury and Sapong better than ever before. And he realizes that that he can uh, he can, you know, be a bit more of a delegator. That said, uh, this dude's going to score some goals this year. I promise you this. As long as he, <laughs> as long as he's back to full health, he's going to score some goals this year. Um, you know, I, I can't remember the last time somebody repeated as as MLS MVP. But um, if anybody was going to do it, um, he's a guy that I would say is going to take what he did last year and look at it not as something he can be complacent about, but a challenge to himself to say, okay, I I got the individual hardware last year, but now I'm going to do what I need to do, and, and if individual come individual hardware comes with it so be it to get this team to mls cup to get this team as as high in the eastern conference as possible i i i'm eager to see him continue to progress and to and to serve his teammates and and find his own goals and don't doubt it at all that he's going to have at least a 10 to 15 goal a year and hopefully for nashville more than that he's back on Godoy, randall out were not and so when you look at you know personnel there's not been a whole lot of rhythm for Nashville SC in the, you know, defensive mid or attacking mid positions. Uh, and yet still they win the XG battle against Montreal um, 1.5 to 0. 0.3 uh, the, for the year. The boys in gold have allowed a total of just over one XG 1.2, nearly <laughs> twice as good per game as the next closest team. Uh, so the question for you here is simple. Is this defensive quality sustainable? Um or is it a result of them maybe being a little cagier and a little more defensive because they don't have their full complement of starting attackers, you know, Hani again, not starting until, until this match. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily as much that we're seeing them be as open as they ever were last year. And that's something that, you know, Gary Smith mentioned in preseason was going to be important to be a bit more of a, of an expansive team at home because they didn't feel like they had quite that sort of mentality of being able to, to to dominate their home pitch because they weren't that sort of team and this year they're they're already showing that they want to be that um i think the reason it wouldn't be sustainable is because uh as we will talk about (laughs) they have two healthy center backs that have that have proven anything at the mls level so far uh if they lose one of them there's there's going to be major question marks if they lose um as they did last year both dax mccarty and anibal godoy at the same time there are a few more question marks. Not to say that Sean Davis and and uh, Brian Anunga can't can't step in and fill those roles, but you're losing quality, you're losing depth. If you have some of the same sort of issues that Nashville had last year, and um, of course, of course, this elite level of defense is not sustainable. Nobody's really ever done it. Um, I, I didn't look, but I'm sure last year's Philly team wasn't even close to this level of success. Some of it is is the nature of small sample sizes and and who you've played so far. 
NYCFC is going to be better than it is right now, but Nashville SC got to play the version of it that is playing right now. Um, New York Red Bulls are never going to be, especially earlier in the year, against a team that's not going to, you know, gift them opportunities. One of the most prolific attacking teams, and this Montreal team is is kind of the same as New York City, where they are really trying to figure out how to deal with some major personnel turnover in the offseason. They'll probably be better by the end of the year. I don't think they're going to be great by the end of the year. You know, Nashville SC is is going to, you know, as soon as this week, play New England. New England is going to be the best test that they've had so far in attack. And mm-hmm. if, they, if they start shutting down teams like New England, you start saying, okay, man, this this team really could be something special defensively. But I, th- I think the floor right now looks like very good as long as they remain healthy. And that's something that I don't think anybody would turn their noses up at. Yeah, New England, no doubt the best test that they will have faced so far. And one of the better tests they'll face, you know, in the first half of the season, going to a place where they've visited twice and never scored a goal. Uh, New England, a little hard to determine what they are. I think we we know they're a good team, but uh, they started the season with a close win at Charlotte. Road win to start the year. Always credit, no matter who you're beating, who you're playing. A dominant win over Houston at home. A decisive loss Sunday night at LAFC 4-0. Um, it, it's hard for me to judge what this team is. I, I like the talent. This is obviously a group that's that's you know sought to upgrade despite losing some big pieces last year. Do you think they're more of the team that trounced Houston at home, the team that got trounced in SoCal? Do we judge from either of those matches? Because those are two teams that are outliers, obviously, in their own ways. <laughs> like, What do we know about New England so far this year? I think you can evaluate what happened in each of those games in the context of who the opponent was and, and where the game was. Uh, the LAFC game uh, last night as we record was one where it was a little bit clear closer than it than the final score makes it look it kind of you know the the uh lafc team pulled away at the very end there um they ended up you know with a with a tap-in goal uh close to uh, i believe actually in stoppage time and it was a situation where new england had already lost the game and it was kind of like name your final score and, and lafc was more interested in naming a final score than new england kind of the opposite with the houston game it's it's hey they aren't a team like nashville <laughs> neither of these teams is like <laughs> nashville it's going to be a, a different type of, of challenge for both New England and for Nashville. Nashville hasn't faced uh, Georgie Petrovic yet this year. They have not faced anybody remotely resembling Georgie Petrovic yet this year, even though he gave up four goals. Uh, th- this is a dude who who kept his team in the game for a lot of that match against LAFC, which is saying something. So Nashville's not going to go out there and say, you know, we're going to to get these easy layoffs from Hani to Jacob Schaffelberg and, and we're going to beat the keeper because he's caught out. Any of that. But at the same time, Nashville knows that they aren't facing Montreal this time. They need to be a bit more proactive if they want to win. They may very well choose to be a bit more uh, reactive like they were in New York and Mm -hmm. and just escape with the point. Seems a little more likely to me, to be quite honest. But um, if if they can hit on the counter, that's what you're hoping for in a road game like this. On that that plastic pitch that Gary Smith will surely be complaining to us about on Thursday morning. (laughs) Yes, he will. Yes, he will. There is a youth movement at Gillette Stadium, and I think credit is due to Bruce Arena, who is, you know, the preeminent soccer coaching wizard outside of Cuba, Trinidad and Tobago, uh, that, you know, in U.S. soccer. He's brought in some young players that I think have been tremendous compliments to what they do. Five regular starters, regular being multiple starts this year, are 25 or younger. Uh, Georgie Petrovich, you've mentioned, might be the most talented young keeper. Well, definitely the most talented young keeper in MLS. Um, Noel Buck, 17-year-old midfielder, very impressive. Dylan Barrero, 21-year-old wing who scored against Houston. So which one, which one of those young guys do you like the most? Um, and how have those young players complimented veterans like Brandon By, Carlos Heel, and of course Dave Romney, who makes the the trip up to uh, New England via trade this season. Um, well, first of all, Brandon By is not like some geriatric guy. He's twenty seven years. He's been around time. this league for a long time. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, um, obviously I mentioned Petrovic because I think he's outstanding. He is precisely Matt Turner, possibly even better than Matt Turner, which really tells you something because Matt Turner. Um, had been the best keeper over multiple seasons that had ever played in this league. And Petrovic comes in. And Matt Turner is going to win Europa for Arsenal this year. Like, that's <laughs> hey, there you go. And But Petrovic came in and is better shot stopping wise. Um, I really like the potential of some of these, uh, you know, especially young American guys. Noel Buck is a guy that um, we talk a lot about on the, on the scuffed podcast discord. Check it out folks. Um, but the situation that, um, that you don't expect with a, a Bruce Arena team is is to do anything other than 
you know, round up a bunch of guys that he knew before and, and put them together and have a, a pretty old team, but a pretty successful team that's maybe got a ceiling on it. That's no longer the move anymore. I think he's figured out that you can have Dave Romney, who uh, unfortunately made a mistake that led to one of the the LAFC goals on on Sunday night. But um, you you know, I hey, I'm not saying I'm just saying people were worried about him last year, and all of a sudden he's he's continuing to make those mistakes. Maybe uh, Nashville SC was was wise to get rid of a guy who is very uh, transparently one of our favorite players on this podcast. I know we can't bash him for long, <laughs> but but. <laughs> But finding but finding guys who can complement the known quantities is something that is is really going to change the way a Bruce Arena team is even even seen going forward. We'll transition to the mailbag with Aaron's question: How I have, how I have a percentage chances to score the straw against the Revs this weekend? He presents seventy percent, eighty percent as his odds. I'll say fifty fifty likelihood that this game ends in a scoreless draw, which the last two between these teams in New England have done. You want to put a number on it? Uh, yeah. So New England got, okay. It was against Houston, but they got 1.27 expected goals in their, in their only home game to date. So I think it really comes down to how threatening New England looks. If they look threatening, Nashville will try to score a little bit. Uh, if they don't look threatening, I think Nashville will be very content to defend and then potentially hit on a counter. Uh, I would, I would go upwards of 50% uh, of a scoreless draw, but if it's not a scoreless draw, I think it's a draw of a one, one scoreline. I don't really think that either team is, going to pull away from the other one here. That sounds fair. I think my prediction will be this. Barring a penalty kick opportunity, New England will have fewer than 1.2 expected goals, which is what Nashville's allowed so far this season. So Nashville will not double ex- its expected goals against count in this game. That'll be my pick. And then I, I should hope happens. not. Gee. <laughs> I mean, one point, they've given up in three games. 1.2 is still, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's a penalty kick and a half, not even. Um all right, before we get to the mailbag, ML Rose, of course, the the preeminent place to go. I want to revisit uh, one favorite menu item that I'm craving right now as I didn't eat much of a lunch today, and that is the Carolina Sweets. Again, you know, my fave. this existential question of what do you put on sweet potato fries? I've never really been compelled to do ketchup. I, I don't know what, what other options are. And then I'm hitting my microphone with enthusiasm. And then the, the, <laughs> the pulled pork with a Carolina mustard sauce, not mustard. Not barbecue sauce. It's just a little bit in between there. It's not honey mustard. It's the perfect, Tim, the perfect solution. And I have to give you credit because on like our first episode where we talked about MROs, you mentioned that menu item. I've gotten it a dozen times since. Yeah, I've gotten it probably as much as I've gotten everything else there uh, combined. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I like to be a little uh, of an explorer when I don't know a place's menu very well. But when I find my favorite thing, Boy, do I hammer that over and over again. And I, I do often get the Carolina sweets. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the pulled pork on it is a uniquely Southern twist on on sweet potato fries. You aren't going to see that uh, a lot of places outside of the South and probably aren't going to see it a lot of places outside of ML Rose. So it is a, it is a, a place that not only is, is kind of accessible even to the to the Yankee types, but it has that kind of Southern <laughs> flair without being forced, you know? So that's something that... Uh, I think, you know, I've always come to appreciate um, when I first moved to Nashville it was something that that I, I really noticed about ML Rose was, was that it was kind of a nice little blend between um, two two lifestyles, I guess. As a Michigander, are you calling yourself a Yankee type? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're from above. Although, that, although that shout out to friend of the pod, Clay Tranum. He quote tweeted this thing that was like, how Southern are you? And it was like, how many of these things have you eaten? Oh. It's a list of like 40 things. And it's like, if you've eaten more than 20 of them, you're a died in the wall Southerner. I'm like, I've had like 25 of these. And, I, <laughs> and, and I'm not very much not a died in the wall Southerner. I think my score was 26. I took the same thing. And now yeah. I'm doing cholesterol tests. Um, <laughs> Louis Vanyal gets into the mailbag. Reaction to MLS wrap-up crew saying this team is one attacking piece away from being a real contender. And Kevin Morrison, echoing that sentiment, says it's a given. There's a small sample size. But uh, should we hold off on confidently saying this team is special? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. We should We should hold off on that. Three games against poor opponents honestly either poor now you know and will be good later or just maybe going to be poor this year uh but i think there's potential there i think we see some seeds maybe are there any numbers any eye test indicators tim that that you see that indicate that this team could be beyond just a good team and could be a pretty great team yeah like you mentioned it's it's really early and and shout out to kevin for for hashtagging small sample size he's very uh, very aligned with the brand. Yes, here. he is. But, 
Um, I, you know, we, we've talked about how these three teams that Nashville has beaten are not, are not world beaters. They are not even Nashville beaters so far, but, but, um, it is too early in the year to know how good they are, how good they will be, um, over 34 games, especially, but, um, it, I, I don't think, I don't see anybody saying this team is special quite yet. I think there's a chance for it to be special. Um, and in terms of, is that, is that, uh, for, to go back to Louie's question, is that attacking piece necessary to make this a special season? I, I've expressed regular skepticism about that. I don't think it's a mystery to anybody. Could like, you know, Olivier Giroud turn this team into a, a supporter shield or MLS Cup contender? Of course, is a is a player with that sort of profile necessary to to make this team a potential supporter shield or MLS Cup contender? I don't think so. Um, we've talked we've talked about some of the things that Nashville could could use, and uh, we will we will talk soon about about where they might need to add some help. But um, I I do think um, you know the, the pieces are in place. It's about health, uh, which will again come up in a second here. But it's about making sure that they they fit together the right way. Um, of course, of course, yes. A, a DP striker would make this team better. Um, but I don't think that is necessarily the the barrier to a special season. If if we define special as winning a trophy, Nashville can win a trophy with the players they have. But I will give it a one out, one in policy that if they lose somebody to injury, they're going to really mm-hmm. need that extra piece. And I think they would do well to reinforce, certainly, because chances are somebody's going to go down um, as much as we don't want to see that. Uh, Justin Belial, has Schaffelberg played well enough to earn a spot in the starting 11 over Fafa when Leal comes back to full fitness? It seems like he's earned it. That's not a knock on Fafa. He's playing very well. I'll say this. If a player scores... Gary Smith will start him the next match unless you're Robert <laughs> Castellanos. That is the way it goes. So whoever the hot hand is at that moment, and we hope Leal's back relatively soon. Right now, that hot hand is Schaffelberg. I would say, Tim, yes, right now, uh, with all due respect to Fafa. But of course, there is the option, again, of putting Randall Leal in a midfield spot and leaving both those wings untouched. Yeah, I, I, I we asked a version of, or were asked a version of this question a couple of weeks ago, and I think um, the the specifics of it are are not really worth sweating. It's it's a champagne problem, as they say. You have two good wingers, and and um, when Lyle comes back, you have an, a guy that you don't want to put on the bench, and he plays a wing position. I think it's it's something that you look at specific um, tactical matchups. Do you need a left footer or a right footer? It really could be that simple as to which of of Schaffelberg or Picot plays if you have Mukhtar, uh, Leal, and a striker on the pitch. You want a left footer, you play Schaffelberg. You want a right footer, you play Picot. It really could be that simple. Um, they provide different things. Um, Picot is a little bit more of a of a slippery speedster, where Schaffelberg is kind of that that bigger straight line, absolute blazer sort of guy. So you get a little bit of a different of a different flavor, and it depends on on matchups which of them starts. I, I put them as as level uh, in my mind in terms of which is is a in an absolute sense a better fit for this team. Comes down to matchups, comes down to who scored more recently when Lyall comes back, as you mentioned, too. The uh, the dark news last week, of course, was Nick Depew out for the year. Nashville will use roster relief, most likely. They have the opportunity, at least, to replace him as he will not play this year. And there was some rumination. There was a, a you know wry comment from Gary about maybe the recruitment of the player you know, leading Nashville to be misled about Nick DePew's injury status. Pancito, with a lot of you asking, Wyatt, David, some variation of, did Nashville buy damaged goods? Was Nashville misled? And where does Nashville go from here? What do you know? And what would you suggest that Nashville do to replace DePew? Um, because it's a tight spot with, again, nobody behind him that's played any MLS action for this club. Yeah, Gary kind of half alluded to it. I, I did feel like he was saying it was it was something that um, you know obviously wouldn't have been caught on a on a medical uh, examination when a trade is executed if it had happened in LA. It just seems like something that that kind of got aggravated and and more than um, you know getting damaged goods. It was hey before before a guy who just you know kind of isn't a hundred percent gets worse. Um, let's let's get him surgically repaired a little bit here to extend his career to extend his future with Nashville SC because he signed a multi-year contract he's going to be with this team for a couple years you don't want to get a little bit of time out of him and then lose him forever from that so from that perspective uh it's it's unfortunate but it happens somewhat frequently in terms of who replaces him 
it'll probably have to be from outside the club. You don't have a ton of faith in Lawrence Wyke. Um, you have uh, Josh Bauer, who you have given, I think, just a few minutes to in the U.S. Open Cup. Ahmed Longmire is down with is down with the um, B team down there in, in Huntsville City SC. So I do think if Nashville signs somebody, it will probably have to be an MLS free agent or somebody coming out of contract or or just out of contract uh, overseas. Yeah, so so this is a scenario that that's going to haunt Nashville here soon potentially, which is that Walker is going to be unavailable in stretches and, and mm-hmm. you know international break coming up. There's a camp in March. We talked last week about the possibility that Mike Jacobs might just tell you know. Anthony Hudson, <laughs> like, you know what? We need Walker more than you do right now. It's certainly a possibility. Uh, but if, if Walker does go, here's a, here are a couple options that I could see, barring a replacement coming in, um, which will happen eventually. Jack Mayer moves to the right side. Dan Lovitz moves into left center back, and you put Taylor Washington on the left flank, where he obviously played played well in, in reserve duty. Feasible. Lovitz, a guy you could see in a four-man, two center backs being that left center back. Um, yeah, it's, it's possible. I wouldn't prefer it. He's done it. He's done it. Uh, he did it in the first half of the Louisville city U S open cup game last year. If I recall correctly, yep. uh, it's not ideal, but, it, but it's definitely workable. Um, I, yeah. All right. That's about how <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe it. Not ideal. What if, but what if you decide you, you want to reduce the burden on each central defender, you make it a three man back line, which seems ironic putting three in when you're not very deep, but you put Lovitz in that left center back spot where he has a little more range to operate mm-hmm. um, out of that, that side mayor is your anchor. And then maybe one of Bauer or Wyke, or maybe whoever you do sign at right center back. Does that overcomplicate the situation? Does that only further extend your lack of depth? Or do you think that might actually help because it reduces the burden on any individual one player and gives you more coverage? Put Lovitz at right center back and you will beat Atlanta United 2-0 on the road. Uh, <laughs> that's just, just making all sorts of callbacks. But... That was right back, wasn't it? Not right center back? No, I thought uh, maybe. I don't I don't. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, I, I actually believe you're right because he had an overlapping pass that was to the first goal anyway uh yeah i mean i think playing a, a back three with with one guy who is moving positions and uh another guy who is one of your backup players one of your kind of reserve players who you're not hoping to have to play a huge role probably makes more sense than playing one of those reserve guys just by himself next to mayor it's something that you want to provide a little bit more help and a little bit more cover if you're in that situation where you're not 100% confident in a guy. That actually does make sense to me. I, I, you know, Taylor Washington at left wing back makes a ton of sense. He's done no a concern. ton of it for Nashville across multiple leagues. He's now scoring goals from a winger position. This guy can do it all. <laughs> but it is, it is a situation where Nashville is going to have to find some solutions because like you mentioned, there will be international duty for Walker Zimmerman at some point. Uh, if it's not at the end of this month, it, it will probably be for the Gold Cup later. It's, there are situations that Nashville is not going to be able to avoid Walker Zimmerman going on international duty. And without Depew, they just don't have another starter in caliber center back right now. Or you bring Jaleel Anababa out of retirement from the radio booth, line him up. Perfect. Yeah, I, I I love Julie. I was so sad when he when he went to the crew. Fantastic. And I I mean working working with him a little bit on again lifts some stuff and having gotten to know him pretty well over the past few months. Tremendous guy and great at radio, by the way. Uh, not suggesting he's coming out of retirement in no way if I discuss <laughs> that with him. Uh, I think he loves what he's doing right now. Uh, it's it's an interesting quandary. I think the other option there is you know if you do need some more cover at center back, you have one of those younger guys in there. You 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 have Dax play that Sosa role again, where he's a deep mm-hmm. lying mid. He's basically a third center back for you, and you can pick out passes and run a little bit less from that role. Yeah, um, it saves his legs a little bit. Yeah, it's... it does. I think that's a win win as well. Either way, there are solutions. None of them are certainly optimal until Nashville can address that that position. Speaking of of positions of urgency, Trevor wants us to rank these positions of need by their urgency. He lists center back wing striker, central mid and wing back as the five options of need. Um, I think center back's got to be the biggest need, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it is now the most urgent for sure. It wasn't. We, we yeah, like, yeah. The Pew move was great because it made that a non-existent need really, you know, mm-hmm. assuming they were all healthy and all of a sudden, yikes. Number two, what do you think? Central mid, wing, striker, wing back? Yeah, I, th- I think I think central mid. Uh, we've we've talked about the issue at central mid a lot, which is there are uh, too many good guys that need to get playing time. And if you add another one, you're not going to be able to promise him the playing time to get a good enough player 
to justify bringing him in. That's the issue at Central Mid. I don't think Nashville wants to part ways with any of the Central Mids right now. I think it is just a situation where you hope that Godoy's shoulder injury doesn't last very long. Yeah. Yeah, you can which, get which if it, you know they aren't acting with urgency there either, so so you know, knock on wood. Hopefully, let's, it is is exactly hope. that. Let's hope it's minor. Didn't look pretty for sure. Uh, third most prevalent need: we have striker, we have um, we have wings, and we have um, our wing back situation for Nashville. Let's see. What do you think? Um, I think. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it depends. If you don't. Uh, have a solution for the center back thing. Wing back suddenly becomes important. It's not yeah. as natural a position uh, for Dan Lovitz, although he's potentially playing center back in, in this world. <laughs> um, and, and it's not a, as natural a position for Shaq Moore. So if you want to have the flexibility to go with a pure back three, back five, that could make sense. Um, striker, like we mentioned, if you're going to add an elite guy, yes, it makes the team better. I think... Uh, Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith have all the confidence in the world and CJ Sapong, Teal Bunbury, and the ability for Hani to play as a lone striker up sure. top if it comes to that. There's a lot of depth there. Wing, we just talked about how there's too many players for not enough positions. So I think yep. I would have to put that one last. Yeah, I would I would I definitely agree with that order. Uh, I think, you know, I, I listed wing back and wing kind of tied for fourth because you know, I I don't think either is a major issue, but your point stands. If if there is that continued issue at center back, then then yeah, I think wing back definitely rises there. So officially, then center back, central mid, striker, wing back, and wing in that order. Trevor, a couple more questions. Uh, Logan asks about the striker spot. Do you think Gary's vision for striker is just to play whoever's the most in form between Teal and CJ? And adjacent to that, has CJ lost his starting spot with three consecutive starts from Teal, or does he slot right in once Gary feels like? CJ's fully fit. And I, I know that Gary loves what CJ does off the ball and scoring goals is almost a bonus. It is the definition of the position, but Gary has a broad definition for that position. Teal's done a lot of those things really well, Tim. And I would, I would suggest that, you know, until Teal suffers a drop in form, he might be the guy there as great as CJ is and as confident as they are certainly in his ability. And Gary loves the intangibles. Teal going back home to his former uh, stomping ground <laughs> in new England might be a little motivated there. I think right now CJ Sapong is not 75 to 90 minute fit. And so until he is, we don't really know how Gary is going to feel. I think Bunbury is playing because Bunbury is the guy that can be trusted to go for 75 minutes and potentially more if you need him. When Sapong is fully fit, he can obviously do that. We've seen him do it tons of times over the years, but until he is able to do that, no, they're not they're not starting from the same starting point. At the, at the point that they are both kind of the same level of fitness, that's when there's a question of which one plays for for tactical or or performance related reasons. Um, I, I like you mentioned when a guy is scoring, uh, Gary's not going to take him off the field. Teal's got to score before before CJ is yeah. fully fit if he wants to lock down that spot. I would say, um, obviously hit the post on Saturday evening, but CJ, like you mentioned as well, is is everything that Gary Smith wants off the ball. Um, the scoring is not a bonus, but the off the ball stuff can be hugely important, uh, maybe especially in in road games too. Um, some of the things that he does in terms of hold up play and just providing a, an outlet for his teammates, something that will be greatly appreciated. But uh, we'll see if he's getting closer to full fitness. And that's when the, the competition, if there is uh, if there is one rather than just kind of tactical decisions can really begin. Yeah, and that was a rough miss. I think Teal would probably tell you that was a that was a rough miss on that breakaway against uh, Montreal. So maybe he does need a, a goal to cleanse the palate a little bit. Of, Bro, people miss p- people miss shots, dude. I, I know, I but know it it's was very frustrating for fans. But it's a, it was no, like a, it was like a fifty is like a fifty xg. It's it's it stinks. It was a half and half shot, pretty high. One against yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's one he will rue. I'm not sitting here bashing the guy for you know the, the keepers closing down the angle, making it tough at, on him. But at Teal Bunbury twelve, West yeah, Bowling is. <laughs> I'm still golden on Teal. No, uh, no doubt. Uh, Sam McAnally. There's no way that Apple actually asked NSC to wear black instead of their yellow kids to avoid clashing with Montreal's on the broadcast. Right. He says, I'm happy to have more of them in black kits, but it seems crazy for Apple to have actually made such a request. I, I think, no, that's not crazy. I don't think we're being lied to here when the club says it was an MLS or Apple decision. It's very possible that they didn't like the pink and the gray, you know, when Miami played Montreal and they said, actually, mm-hmm. aesthetically, gold is another light color. Let's not mess with that. Do I think there's much of a clash there? No. Uh, speaking of men in black, by the way, 
I did love them playing that before the game because <laughs> the lyrics Galaxy Defender are, of course, prominent in the chorus. Ironic, given the subject of the week. Yeah, um, I have I have no no take on, on Will Smith. And I don't even remember who the featured artist is in that. In Wild Wild West, it was Drew Hill, but it was not all of Drew Hill. It was only Cisco. But I don't remember who the Men in Black one was. Wes is like horrifying. This has been Club and Country. Them, <laughs> I'm going to try to on the spot. Um, one of the issues with broadcasts over the years when fans have complained that they don't look good enough is that this sort of attention to detail was never really taken into account. If the cost is that you don't wear your preferred jersey every once in a while because Montreal has some sort of some sort of production issue with their with their other kits is what was told to us before the game. Yeah, it's a long story. I won't get into it here. Yeah, but so so they only had those kits available. I would rather have Apple say we need this to look good as a television product than than have Nashville SC say whatever we're doing what we want will continue to have some of the same um you know television numbers issues in terms of reaching a new fan base in terms of looking like a good product to fans it's it's not great but it's the cost of of doing business and and doing better business than the league has done in the recent past if i'm the club i just roll with it and say hey for the first two home games we want to get this black kid out there and do that tribute and don't even address it publicly honestly because i don't think many people were gonna Maybe they were. People do love the gold, but but maybe yeah. this would not have been a big issue had they not made it one. So maybe there was an axe to grind, frustration from the club that motivated them to get that out there. Otherwise, not not exactly the uh, the biggest deal. Let's move outside in. More pressure from Cincinnati. Junior Moreno. Now it's Brunner. The breakthrough for the home side. Then the Brazilian on the score sheet for the first time in 2023. Since he leads in one nil, Tyler Terrans of Apple TV bringing you the call of Cincy's winner against Seattle and arguably the match of the weekend. I think LAFC New England might might have contended for that in terms of two good teams coming in. But Brenner scoring his first of the year to break the deadlock with Seattle. Tim, uh, Cincinnati just beat a Seattle team that looks nearly flawless in its first two games. Any chance you might start to be a believer in Cincinnati yet, or are they still just kind of meh to you? I know listen, it's a man. bit. I know it's a listen, bit. Listen, yeah, listen, man. They were good last year too. It's just a bit. <laughs> no, I think I think they will. Uh, they'll be similar to what they were last year, and and they kind of have to hope, like Nashville, that being what you were last year, but but doing a better job of it makes you a better team in the table. Um, I don't have a ton of faith in their defense. I think Roman Celentano in, in goal is a very talented player, but is also a second year player is going to be prone to making some mistakes, but. And the attacking third of the field, they have so much talent. You better be scoring. It, it, there have been rumors, and certainly there were preseason that that Brenner might be on the move this summer. And then you can just roll out, and you know the the future striker for the U.S. Men's National Team if you're if you're FC Cincinnati. <laughs> um, but no, they're going to win the spoon yet again. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you who is not very good right now, and that is Charlotte. Here comes Atlanta. This is Tiago Almada. Now a lot of room for Caleb Wiley. This is Caleb Wiley who opens the scoring. Five minutes in. The 18-year-old putting Atlanta ahead on the road. Jake Zivin of Apple TV giving us Atlanta's first of three goals in the first half. They cruise in Charlotte 3-0. And that's zero goals in three matches for the Royals. Elevates Atlanta to first in the Southern Cup right now, but tied on points with Nashville. What's happening in Charlotte? This was a team that was showing some promise toward the end of last year, and they really seem to have regressed. Yeah, a lot of it is is what presumably we'll see with Austin, Uh in comparison to last year and, and presumably what we'll see happen to St. Louis after the first three games is uh, eventually if you're, if you're living on, on the basis of good luck rather than kind of being good between the white lines, it can catch up to you now and then. And the hope for Charlotte has to be that it doesn't, um, you know, continue to be his thing where there's an overcorrection and they are suddenly a team that's always unlucky. They have been unlucky a couple times in their first three games. Um, obviously, they were not going to beat Atlanta, which absolutely destroyed them in Charlotte this weekend. But um, I think if you look at their first two games, they were not as as uh, as inept as they as they looked at times. When you, if you just kind of popped in the highlights or the final score, um, if if they kind of just level off that luck situation, I think they'll be okay. It's a team that's got an uphill battle to make the playoffs, though. 
fans not happy in Charlotte. I think expecting a lot more in year two than they are. They're getting right now. St. Louis, by the way, in year one wins again, three and three after a two one victory in Portland. And neither of these goals, by the way, were just given to them by defenders. They actually earned it just a little bit. Uh, unprecedented, impressive. We all know St. Louis is going to regress at some point as a new team, but would you have imagined them doing what they're doing? And then again, would you have imagined them having two back passes straight to their strikers? Either, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a this is a team that that everybody was making fun of before the season, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, everybody thought they were going to be horrible, and um, I think Austin maybe felt a, a degree of guilt. And was like, hey, we want to make sure that that nobody continues to think you're <laughs> going to be horrible. Um, yeah, this this was their first their first actual game where you look at them and say, hey, this is a justifiable result based on how the game played out. And I'm not, you know, do you think that they'll they'll continue to win? Do do I think they're going to win 34 games? No, I do not. <laughs> but uh, it'll be interesting to see when teams no longer kind of have St. Louis sneak up on them too, because I think that's part of what has allowed them to stay in some of these early games. And um, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to say the bottom's going to fall out, but certainly they, they have been living on the right side of luck and that's not going to keep up all year. Uh, the question then that we teased earlier that we'll close this section with, uh, who's going to progress? Who's going to regress? If you had to pick a team that you think maybe other than St. Louis is going to drop off its current pace, a team that maybe maybe they're a fraud, maybe they're just you know not going to be what they've shown to be early in the year. Is there a team you'd pick that might be exceeding its potential right now? Before I answer, can you laminate a podcast prediction? <laughs> We're going to. <laughs> I got I to gotta be safe here. Um, uh, I think... Um, uh, I think that there's a couple teams. I think Miami, I think to, to a certain extent, Atlanta, because they were playing against Charlotte and you get a little bit lucky and you play a little sure. bit better when you play Charlotte. Um, I think that those are the teams that I would really look at. Um, Miami seems like they have more talent and more desire to add to that talent. You know, God only knows if Messi's actually going to show up this summer. It, it uh, vacillates between definitely happening and definitely not happening. So, <laughs> so we'll see there, but. Um, you know, I think that that's the, the the most obvious couple other than St. Louis, who I obviously have already um, kind of dragged a little bit saying, hey, look, they they don't look as good um, in comparison to what they deserve from expected goals because you still get expected goals um, when you have an open shot because a defender back passes it to you. Um, the, the XG number is still really high, but I don't think they're method of generating expected goals is necessarily replicable over the following 31 games here. Yeah, perfectly fair. I think, I think Atlanta regresses a little bit. I mean, two home home victories, um, sorry, a home win and home draw, and they shouldn't have even gotten points against San Jose, if not for wonder strikes from, from Tiago Almada, for sure. I think that's a, that's a very valid point. Uh, as I look at teams who I think might progress, I mean, I have to wonder if Toronto at some point is just too talented to be bad. They've gotten two draws in three matches. They've been a bit disheveled. The Bob Bradley magic has not worked to date in Toronto, and it was kind of wearing off a little bit in Los Angeles as well toward the end of that tenure. So, you know, I, I wonder. Most of the teams, though, that are far down the standings, I kind of expect to be there. When you look at teams like, you know, Charlotte, Montreal, Chicago, perhaps Red Bulls get a little better, but... Uh, you know, as they work in, you know, their, their DP striker. I don't know. I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see, but I think Atlanta regresses. I think I'll choose, I'll choose Toronto to, to make a little bit of noise and rise a little above their station that they're in right now. I forgot to give a progress. I'm going to go with Vancouver to keep it in Canada and because I don't think Montreal is, is in very good shape. Um, Vancouver is not, they're not going to win the Western conference to say the least, but this has been better than a team um, that has only won. Uh, one point so far in three tries. I think they'll they'll kind of stabilize a little bit. Um, you know, really have have a strong belief in what um Vanny Sartini is doing there, and um, I think they are never going to be one of the teams that has the most talent in the league. It just doesn't seem to be their their model. But they have that kind of uh, je ne sais quoi that should allow them to outperform it. Yeah, nice five 0 win over Real Espana in midweek two in CCL action. Uh, looking, looking good at least against the Hondurans at home. Uh, one final little bit here. Many of you have requested a little more information about Huntsville City FC I, segment name TBD. But I started with the Rocket City Space. It's a space in the show to talk about yeah, the club from yeah. Rocket City. 
you yelled at me for explaining one of your puns earlier. You do, you do not get to turn around and do the same. Because you just sat there with a blank stare, and I didn't know if that was judgment or if that was you trying to figure it out. I didn't get it. wasn't exactly much to figure out, so I guess it was judgment. Uh, we can trash. We can try Rocket City. That trash panda, trash panda. That Rocket City. Whatever. Um, but Huntsville going through preseason now. They've played three preseason matches, unbeaten so far. Draws with Philadelphia Union two and Birmingham Legion. It's a good result, by the way. A scoreless draw against a Birmingham team that is a level above them. Uh, of course, preseason uh, disclaimers notwithstanding. And most recently, they beat the Savannah Clovers out of Nice at 2-0 in a friendly just over a week ago. Uh, they will close out with FC Cincinnati 2 Tuesday night. And then Chattanooga FC and University of Alabama Huntsville. Uh, just a couple of other notes there. Ahmed Longmire has started every match. Uh, so far in preseason for Huntsville, Joey Skinner, the top draft pick for Nashville, started one of them. Anything to add there? Anything you're looking for out of these friendlies or just kind of ready for ready to see how this roster actually takes shape when the games start? Yeah, it's, it does sound like Skinner is is a ways away from Nashville. SC. Gary Smith kind of alluded to that in preseason play saying, hey, we, you know, he was one of the first guys to go to Huntsville and, and he's going to develop there, but it needs to happen. I really want to see a Med Longmire get a ton of time right now, as much possible time as he can get early in the season for, for reasons that have nothing to do with what we talked about previously in the show or Nashville SC might be needing <laughs> center backs at some point right. soon, but um, Ahmed Longmire absolutely needs as many reps as possible right now. Of course, um, not so many that he has trouble staying healthy, but would love to see him do everything he can to play his way into the Nashville SC uh, roster and moving up from Huntsville. Uh, by the way, Scottish Cup semifinal draw just took place, and uh, Alistair Johnston will be playing against Rangers in the semifinals of that tournament as we go outside in there for one former player. Final whistle, any content that you have uh, ingested or digested or rejected uh, this week? Anything you want to share? Man, rejected would be real tough. Um, I do <laughs> want to give a shout out to something that you can no longer uh, listen to going forward, and that is Allocation Disorder. Um, one of our faves, uh, we are huge fans of Paul Tenorio and Sam Stasekel. Uh Sam is leaving The Athletic. He, um, I believe today was his first day with Apple. We will see what he is able to produce there, what what his role is going to be. Um, but I just wanted to give a shout out to those guys because allocation disorder is obviously uh, kind of in the very vein that we try to try, try to mine here on Club and Country a lot of the times uh, during hot to winter especially. But those guys are... Um, both great guys, both great um, reporters and great and great uh, understanders of rules, which is one of our favorite things to do on this podcast. <laughs> too, real fun thing to be is an understander of rules. But um, best of luck to Sam in his in his next endeavor, and um, you know, best of luck to Paul, and hopefully that uh, there's some sort of maybe Pablo Maurer or, or some, one of his other colleagues from the Athletic can kind of step in and and some form of allocation disorder by a different name uh, will live on. I sure I sure hope so. And certainly Felipe, Pablo, any number of those folks at the Athletic would be capable of of at least stepping in, but very few uh, in this soccer journalism world capable of, of filling Sam's shoes. Very interesting, interested to see what he does in his sports programming role at Apple. Don't know much about that role. Obviously, put that out on LinkedIn, though. And uh, yeah, I, I will absolutely echo that. This uh, this MLS ecosystem is growing, but those who know the roster rules inside and out and can educate on that. It's a very small community of brotherhood and sisterhood there. And we will miss losing one of those, at least in official capacity. Fortunately, we'll try to bring you uh, just an ounce, a Nashville sized uh, dose of, of some of that here, but, but Sam, yeah, absolutely a tremendous uh, fixture in the soccer journalism community. And it was bizarre to see that he was leaving, uh, honestly, uh, kind of like, you know, I don't know. It'd be like a Gary Smith leaving Nashville. Like they're they're intertwined <laughs> at some point, you know. And uh, it's it's tough to uh, to see that. But best of luck to him. Uh, my only quote unquote content recommendation is if you're in the club and country soccer league, be sure to check your mm -hmm. roster. If you uh, do not fill that roster, if it exceeds its value, you will get shut out in a game. You will score zero, and that's not pretty. Uh, Tim is three and zero after a, a win yes, over Braden. Your team. Did not know until just now when he said, ooh, when I reminded him that league existed. <laughs> when I remember to go look at my team. All right. Right. I, I'll take my two and one record and uh, and happily claim that moving into week four. Uh, and matchups should be set for week four. Again, uh, just a couple of notes there. When you set your lineup, you can wait until the starting lineups are announced. In fact, until kickoff of your respective game that that player is in. 
So you don't have to do like Premier League soccer where you're guessing a day out or a week out who's playing. Uh, you can you can do that as you see the lineups come out. That's just a little a little hack there that can help you maybe be a little more successful if you're off to a slow start. Um, I'm stalling too as I look at who I'm playing this week. The Milkman in the Mirror is my opponent, and that is Jared French. I'm looking Jared, at Milkman in the Mirror. Exactly. I promised I would never sing on this podcast, and I I finally ruined it. And so we're going to head out at this point. And this is a <laughs> bad time to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We will promise no more singing. Uh, yeah, we'll promise that. Uh, thanks to Moon Taxi for the music at the beginning and the end. Thanks to Tim for stopping his music immediately. Uh, ML Rose for the sponsorship. 440 Sports Network for giving us this microphone. Uh, Tim, anything else you want to leave the good folks with besides more tunes? No, just remember, uh, stop in at ML Rose uh, before the games, uh, during the games for the away matches. And do not forget to, um, yes, we say rate, review, subscribe every week. But tell a friend, um, yeah. you know, uh, retweet our, our tweets on social media, all those sorts of things help people find us. It's, it's awesome. We appreciate our fan base. They have done a great job of, of helping us get out there. And, um, of, of course, uh, we appreciate it. Well, we will talk to you folks after New England.